Hey, Feminist Frequency Radio listeners, why don't you join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash femfreak. You'll love it. Now, on with the show. She had three moms. Wow, their tampon budget must have been through the roof. Who thought that was a good joke? Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined by my fellow celebrity chefs, Carolyn Pettit. Hello. And Ebony Adams. Give me that kanji. Today we're going to be discussing the new Netflix rom-com, Always Be My Maybe, starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. Hello. Hey. Starring Ali Wong and Randall Park and... Oh, and well. Don't worry. We'll get, to, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's Daniel why Day. I'm here, I doing it? when I put this script together. Okay. Daniel Day Kim. There's some people in it. There's some, yeah. You know what's funny is that um, I, I want... I went to check um, IMDb to see who one of the actors, secondary characters was. And it says, you know, like, always be my maybe. And it says, uh, starring Keanu Reeves and Ali Wong. Yeah. And I was like, damn, Randall Park. Like, (laughs) co-writer, co-creator of it. Yeah. Co-star. Like, there were, I don't know if it was the official, there was, like, postings of the the trailer on YouTube where, like, the Uh thumbnail, you know, was... Keanu's face, like just Keanu's face. Yeah. That was like, <laughs> um, so you know, obviously, but I mean, I understand they want to get eyeballs on this movie, and Keanu's mm-hmm. the Keanu Reeves brand is very hot right now. So you know, I don't necessarily blame them for that, but um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. How's L.A. these days? It's cold. Gray. Cold. Okay. No, it was warm yesterday. It's really dreary today, though. Are we really talking about weather right now? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, we can I, talk know, about I, the I, naps I just, I'm about to take in this. Weather. I'm the only one. Like it's weird to me now. The dynamic has shifted. Right? It used to be two Bay Area people, yeah. one uh-huh. SoCal person, and now I feel like I'm the one who is left out. How you is know, the ma- the majority weather situation? So I'm yeah. curious. I'm just but curious. to be honest, like I'm so far north of the city, sure. I feel, I'm gamma quadrant. Like whenever you ask about LA, <laughs> I feel like I'm faking when I give you an answer because I don't know what it's like in LA right sure. now. I know what it's How, like in the is fucking, the Bay Area. You know, it's traditional freezing cold summer yet. Well, today it's actually at least you know right now it's really warm outside. Um, so no, the weather's been pretty warm lately, actually. But you know it. it it's going to turn on a dime at any point. We, of course. I mean, yeah. when we all die of heat and freezing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but thankfully, you know, at least Climate when uh, when the uh, sea level rises. We're all, can, we're those, all gone. All of us of, Californians. Well, but those, those who live on the coast, you know, can just sell their homes. So. Thanks, Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Sorry, that's a little Ben Shapiro slash Wow guy. We're getting, woo, we're getting played. We're getting we're deep into it. Today. How about we shift gears real hard yep. and yeah. go into some entertainment news? All right. So, you know, got got some video game stuff this week. It's been a while since we've we've covered any video game news, but E3 is imminent, right? The, the biggest gaming event, uh, arguably anyway, of the year. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of stuff is happening in video game uh, spheres these days. After a few years of like super mysterious trailers and things that basically didn't reveal anything about what the actual gameplay was going, going to be like, we have what feels like the first proper trailer for Hideo Kojima's uh, upcoming game, Death Stranding. It is a very Kojima trailer. It's like nine minutes long. It's 
wildly absurd, um, as is the Kojima trademark. We learn about, you know, the names of, of uh, like, the principal characters in this game from the trailer. And um, in typical Kojima fashion, stuff seems pretty, 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 like, gendered and, like, kind of gender essentialist. So, for instance, um, as gaming historian Holly Nielsen tweeted <clears throat> uh, regarding the Death Stranding reveal, uh, she said, Female characters called Fragile and Mama and a male character called Die Hard Man is <laughs> a choice. Right? <laughs> so, uh, That's such good phrasing. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Are you serious? Absolutely. I mean, yes, absolutely. But, uh, you know, babies... Aren't there like weird baby heads or some shit? Yeah. In this so game? and exciting news: the Death Stranding Collector's Edition. I don't know what the price is, but if you want to kick in like an extra, who knows how much money, comes with its own life-sized pod baby. So you it's can so put wow. that on. And Anita, you and Anita have plenty of time to save up for that to get that for my birthday at the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> So, yeah, I mean, really, I, I, there's not a whole lot to say about, about uh, uh, Death Stranding yet other than this, like, the very Kojima-esque nature of, like, the names, the very, you know, gendered quality of the names and the, uh, you know, the, the absurdity of, of all of that. Um, I can't wait for you to uh, play this game so I can watch you stream. Oh, um, man. While you're yeah, me it. too. Because like, I be certainly don't want to play it, but I no, want to no, see no, what this yeah, is. I, I mean... Ooh, I mean, I'm in as a gameplay experience. Like, it's it's like I can't not. Like, I have to see what the what this is. It's so it looks so ludicrous. In other gaming news, uh, the new Call of Duty game, this year's Call of Duty game, is going to be called. Wait for it, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Doesn't that already exist? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> like, doesn't that exist two thousand times over? Well, yeah. So call it. Call of Duty 4, which came out, I don't even know how many, like 12. I'm just pulling yeah. out a number now. You know, many, many, many years ago now, it was like Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. And then there was, and then they the naming scheme went like Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3. So there's like a bunch of Modern Warfare games. And now this game is just, again, like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. And um, Call of Duty, too modern, too warfare. <sighs> I feel like the video game industry is a fucking parody of itself at this point. It's like the triple A, sorry, point? the triple A part of it, you know, like, yeah, come on. It's pretty ludicrous. Um, the official Are there website. Inner characters with great names like Big Hardman or whatever so, his name is. <laughs> no, but huge. not quite. No, I mean, Call of Duty goes for like a more kind of like, I mean, they, they, they want to come across as a more authentic you know, quote unquote, authentic experience. But the main soldier image fronting all the promo for the game is a soldier with a magnificent mustache. And that is clearly a, uh, so there's a character, a recurring character in the Call of Duty games named Price. And there, there are different prices. You know, there's like a, a Colonel Price in the World War II games. There's a price in the Modern Warfare games. There's a price in the Black Ops games. But the one constant they all have is a magnificent mustache. So looking at that, it's like, okay, that's the new price. Wait, so it's a it's a different price, but yeah. it's always a price? Is it's, it like, exactly. Like it's like who? a connecting tissue. There's something in the recurring in the DNA of war itself where there's always a... <laughs> amazing there's always a price a colonel or whatever his rank is there price. is always a price carol 
Um, let me. So from the official, oh, I got nothing for that joke. Come on, <laughs> we were still. Listen, I was too blown away by how good it was. Thank That's you. what happened. <laughs> Thank you very much. The official website uh, for the for the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare says this. Um, the new Modern Warfare delivers an emotionally charged and intense campaign that shines a light on the changing nature of modern war. Expect a single-player experience that is edgy, culturally relevant, and thought-provoking. Oh, so culturally ready, relevant? Yeah, what the fuck yeah, does that mean? And it's a, is it a white dude that's the star of the game? Killing a bunch of brown people? Now, this is a, this is a, a, a war, a first-person shooter that actually has something meaningful to say about war. So, you know, when... Reporters in you know two months or three months or when the game releases ask them about the inherent politics of the game. Um, you know we can expect them to ha- to have something clear and cogent to say and not just pass off the old bullshit line of it's you know it's just entertainment and we're we're not it, making a political statement here. Uh-huh. That's exactly yeah. almost uh-huh. certainly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let me set my watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. All you right. got anything uplifting for us? Uh, well, no, no, but, uh, no, <laughs> no, uh, real right. quick though, give, uh, give it to us real quick. We can talk about how, so what we were debating, uh, at one point, you know, we, we float ideas like, what are we going to talk about on the podcast? One idea we floated and ultimately passed on was the new, uh, slasher horror flick Ma starring, uh, Octavia Spencer. Um, and, uh, the director of Ma, uh, Tate Taylor, said in an interview, you know, uh, he was asked by by an interviewer, um, you know, as a white male director, how did you think about putting yourself into a character like Sue Ann and portraying the elements of race that exist within the film because it's embedded in the film? And Taylor's response is, how do you think race is embedded in the film? Because I don't see it that way. But I mean, like, even from the trailers, uh, like you have a black woman who is kind of terrorizing a, a, a group of largely white, like, teens, you know, like, race is there. So anyway, uh, I, I think um, maybe Ebony at least expressed some relief that we took a pass on Ma so that we didn't have to deal with that kind of ignorance. But yeah, I'm bringing you know, it up I, here anyway. I Listen, I am probably, we'll see Ma, not in the theaters, but... <laughs> <laughs> we'll find someone who's pirating it and then just sneak over and watch through their window. I have had many reservations about this because I thought there could be something really interesting with the way this film tackles race and gender um, and class, clearly, and region. Like, if there is someone smart enough behind this, this could be a very uncomfortable watch, but uncomfortable for the best reasons. But then when I saw who the uh, director was, it's the, re- the director of The Help, <laughs> I was like, nope, not into it. Like, <laughs> don't trust this dude at all. But the kind of like willful blindness demonstrated by the fact that this guy is, is like antagonistic with critics who say like, oh, like, so how how is race woven in and through this thing? For him to be like, why do you think there's race following it? It's like, dude, really? As if he's unprepared for this, as if it's, you know, completely out of the realm of, you know, the the legible or comprehensible that people will have this question. Dude, what the fuck? You should not be allowed to make movies because clearly, like, these sort of larger questions, if you're this resistant to that kind of reading, which, by the way, is not subtextual at all, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Also, yeah. Did he not hear any of the criticisms of the help? Like, did that, does he just, is he like, oh. I, I don't think he has to, in the way that, like, 
white men, white people in general, you know, creatives can often choose to ignore those kind of criticisms, right? You know, they position themselves above those kind of considerations as if, you know, you can choose whether or not to take part in these discussions. And it's like, no, that's 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 not how this works. But also, like, I love Octavia Spencer, but some of her choices lately get, just get massive side eye. Because remember, she's one of the producers for Green Book. Oh. And it's like, yo, yeah. yo, Octavia, we, we need to have some some conversations, not just one, but like a series. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break before we get into Always Be My Maybe. Hey, Fem Freak crew. If you're enjoying the piping hot intersectional feminist analysis and pop culture freakouts we deliver on Feminist Frequency Radio every week, why not join our Patreon community? Head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak to help us keep delivering all the feminist media analysis you love and Treat yourself to some of our great perks, merch discounts, AMAs, bonus episodes, early access, even live events. That's patreon.com slash femfreak. Do it today. Welcome back. Let's do this. All right. So in keeping with our new official policy of only talking about things that Keanu Reeves is in, I'm really here for this (laughs) all of a sudden in my life. Although not after this. Okay, please let me continue with this intro that I've already butchered. This week, we're discussing the new romantic comedy, Always Be My Maybe. Ali Wong plays Sasha Tran, a rising star in the culinary world who moves back to her home city of San Francisco to oversee the opening of a new restaurant when she encounters Marcus Kim, a close childhood friend she hasn't spoken to in years. Their complicated history together makes reconnecting somewhat difficult, but this is a rom-com after all, so we know that not even Keanu Reeves can keep these two from ending up together. Spoilers! Yeah. I want to start with talking about Keanu Reeves. Actually, I, like, I didn't <laughs> think shot, going I'm into shocked. this movie that I would, but I want to say something nice about this movie before I start saying a lot of not very nice things about it. Um, like, I thought going in that Keanu Reeves was just going to be uh, like a... Like a cameo, right? Like a, a little passing cameo, That's like a nice little, very brief momentary surprise that you know, was, like, nice but didn't really have, like, much of an impact on the overall film. And, like, no, I actually think Keanu Reeves is, you know, and it's sadly, in a way, far and away the best thing about this movie because he just seems to be having so much fun with his part. Oh, absolutely. Keanu Reeves plays a, uh, like, fictional, like, super pretentious asshole version of himself. And he is so good at it like Mm -hmm. um because he he does he somehow mixes like he thinks he's being very kind and magnanimous but he's a complete asshole about it all the time like there's a great line where after they they eat at this uh extremely expensive posh absurd restaurant um you know keanu is like uh you know whatever i'm gonna go get some air uh and then um then they're like leaving, and and uh, so uh, Marcus, the character played by Randall Park, is like, "You didn't even let me like fight you for the bill or try to pay the bill." And Keanu is like, uh, "It was sixty four hundred dollars, like less than a residual check from my hit movie, <laughs> from my hit movie Speed." Like, I, just the way he says, "From my hit movie Speed." <laughs> I, I was and cracking then, up. I mean, and then when he gently cups Marcus's yeah, face, yeah, in that super like patronizing way. So I, 
I liked the movie, unsurprisingly. Like, I, I'm always the person on the pod who's like, nope, you know, if it's trash, I like it. Um, I, I liked it clearly a lot more than than you and Anita did. But I do agree with you that, like, Keanu Reeves, it shifts into an entirely different weird gear yeah. once he appears. And the fact that he stays around for a bit, that, yeah, we don't get to cameo from him, you know. Um, but, in fact, he's his appearance and what he represents, you know, even once he's gone, like, they keep bringing him up, you know. <laughs> Marcus writes songs about it, you know, like, in the very end, he talks about, you know, the, the interaction with Keanu. Like, it just... You're you're in almost an entirely different movie once Keanu Reeves appears, you know, and it was a fantastic <laughs> movie. In this, like the whole restaurant scene, yeah. had me on the floor from oh, the reaction like, of Randall's girlfriend Jenny, <laughs> like her slow motion, like oh my god, <laughs> when Keanu walks in, and then like her determination to pretty much. Follow him wherever he goes in the restaurant, you know, and do whatever he does. Like she immediately starts to mirror his enthusiasm for the food. Oh my God, it was so good. And like, I actually did, I think, I thought about you during that restaurant scene because you're such a, a foodie and like culinary traveler. I was like, I hope Anita gets to go to a restaurant where they have Beats by Dre headphones and she gets to listen to the meat. I mean, I have done something where you listen to sounds while you're eating. <laughs> I know, I know. That's that okay, shot, like hold on. Keanu sobbing oh. as he's <laughs> eating, and then like looking up at the sky and saying, "I'm sorry," <laughs> and then keeps eating. I mean, that is like the only, like that was really Keanu. That window of Keanu is the only point, the only period in this film that I actually thought it was funny at all. Like, okay, so. I liked the part where Keanu walks in and you realize it's him and the reactions and that whole thing. And he's like going to say hi to the people at the table and shows up. End. End cameo. I hated everything else after that. Like, why did they make him an asshole? And why did he agree to be an asshole? And it was so bad. No, it was fair. Okay. Yeah. You and I clearly don't see eye to eye on this. Like, the, the, Keanu has a certain, like, reputation actually for being, you know, like a, like a really nice, quote unquote, nice guy in Hollywood. And I think that this was so sort of, uh, elevated, like so absurd that nobody is going to ever, I mean, me, obviously who knows, maybe some people, but to me, like I was fully in on the joke, right? I'm like, Mm -hmm. nobody, like, I don't think this is Keanu as he really is. So it's, it's perfect. It kind of like is a weird mirror of what we, because you know, we we sort of ascribe this kind of spiritual, sometimes quality to Keanu. And so when he first comes and, and meets with Sasha and she's saying things like, I miss your body. I miss this. And he's like, I miss your soul. I miss your essence. <laughs> that was really cute. I thought that whole exchange was adorable. Like, it's, you know, all but of that still, stuff. And, you know, him the, saying the that truth his truth or dare, the, the like, the, yeah, the or game. Oh, I fucking hated it. And oh, okay. I loved it. I loved it. Okay, so part everything. of this is also my issue with this movie. So yeah. as I was watching it, I text Carol and Ebony being like, I don't think we should talk about this movie. Like, so- I thought it was so horrifically awful that yeah. I don't want to publicly trash it. 
Like, I don't feel like there's a need for me to do that. But I don't know how to talk about this without being like, holy shit, what was this dumpster fire of horribleness? I I want to get into why you hated it. Because, like, is it because part of the reason why I loved it might be part of the reasons why you didn't like it, Anita, and and I could be completely wrong, but part of the reason why I loved it is the ways that it it both rigidly adheres to standard rom-com tropes, but then also plays with them. I don't have a problem with standard rom-com tropes. I don't think the the movie is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I think for what it sets out to do, I found it to be, you know, very successful. I don't think it tried to be more than it was, um, and I appreciated that. Okay, I'm going to take back. I do have a problem with standard rom-com tropes, but I don't, like, hate rom-coms as a... um, as a as a genre, genre. like I, mm-hmm. I don't throw them out completely. I like this movie wasn't funny. It was so, the yeah. writing that's a, that's and the a, that's dialogue. An interesting thing to say, right? Like the, the movie well, isn't let funny. Let me finish, Ebony. <laughs> like you asked Go. me what I thought. Like the, I thought that the I thought there was literally like nothing funny about it. I thought the dialogue was terrible. I thought the acting was terrible. It was so painfully beating you over the head at every single moment. And I was like, I've watched Ali Wong's stand-ups. Like, I think she's funny. I think she's a good comedian. But when I was like, oh, she, like, co-wrote this? What? Why? Like, how did that happen? The jokes were so like contrived or bordering on offensive or just like, you know, the Bay area stereotype of the girlfriend who, you know, actually I thought had more character than anybody else, even though I hated her. Like that is not what the Bay area is like anymore. Like it's not at all like that. So you're making a movie in 2019 and you have, you're like, we're going to go to the Bay area so we can talk about this shit. Like that doesn't work. And then I felt like they had these moments where like the restaurant scene was so over the top, right? I don't have a problem with it being over the top. I have a problem with the fact that, like, that band was fucking dreadfully awful. And then everyone's like, this is amazing. And it was played so real that I was like, wait, are you being over the top? Or are you not? And then the restaurant is so over the top and you're supposed to feel like it's over the top. So the, the, the sort of continuity of the way that comedy and exaggeration was played out, like was so all over the map that I was like, what, are, why, what are we supposed to be thinking at any given moment here? So my reasons for disliking the film, I overlap with Anita's, but they're a little, a little different. So let me, let me say my piece as well. Um, first of all, though, I want to, <laughs> I want to be very clear, like, we never pick, a, well, maybe with the exception of Ready Player One, um, we never pick a thing to talk about, like, with any intention of going into like, dislike it or tear it down or whatever. Like, we saw the trailer for this. Uh, Ebony and I, in particular, I think were, like, excited about it. We thought it looked great. Like, and so there is, for me, that reluctance, because I see a lot of people on Twitter, um, Asian people, particularly, like, say, saying, like, here's, like, Asian excellence, like, and I don't in any way, like, in any, any way want to sort of like my feelings about the film are my feelings and they should not in any way diminish like the validity of that or anyone's like experience of that. And like, I absolutely appreciate stuff like, you know, people saying like, Oh, you know, like when you see spam in the, in the cooking early on, like this is like authentic and it has all these authentic details. And I think that's, you know, fantastic. Like I'm absolutely all for that. My like fundamental problem with the film is that, I, you know, for a rom-com to work for me, like I have to want the two central leads to get together. And I thought throughout most of this film that Marcus was 
terrible. And I get that maybe, like, he was, like, maybe he was fundamentally, like, a nice guy who was acting like an asshole as a way to cover up ways in which he's been hurt or he's guarded. But at a certain point, you know, being a nice guy who acts like an asshole and just being an asshole, like, there, at a certain point, there isn't much difference. And so, like, every conversation between them, I'm like, you know, I would want him to be more, like, supportive or sensitive or like take an interest in Sasha or do something to like that I felt was like warm and compassionate and I wanted to feel some chemistry between them and like I never felt that at all and so like there would be people like like Marcus's dad who is great like he's delightful I love Marcus's dad in this movie he's so warm he's so friendly like you know I wanted I would have loved more of him in the movie but he says you know, you and Sasha are so great together. Like, are you going to like, let this chance slip you by? And I'm like, I don't understand what anyone sees about these two because the movie isn't showing me that. Like, I don't understand why I'm supposed to want these two to get together when every interaction between them to me feels like they're just hurting each other. And like, I understand there has to be tension in a rom-com, of course, dramatic tension, like will they or won't they, things that come between them. But I just fundamentally didn't want them to get together. And I didn't understand why anyone would want them to get together because I really didn't like the way that they communicated with each other ever until maybe the very, very end. But, you know, it has to come before that. Like I said, I did like uh, the movie. I don't watch a lot of rom-coms. I read a lot of romance, but I watch comparatively few rom-coms. And the reason I watch comparatively few rom-coms but read lots of romance is because I am more readily able to find people who look like me or people that I'm interested uh, in their interior lives and their interior romantic lives in, you know, uh, book form than I am on screen. So just the fact that, you know, um, we are starting to get more rom-coms with people of color and that have casts that are predominantly people of color or all people of color is huge for me. Um, so again, part of the reason why I loved it is it was like, yes, like it just was so refreshing to see this all Asian cast loving and laughing together. And those small moments um, were amplified for me, you know, so like the spam, um, you know, cutting things with scissors, taking your shoes off when you go in the house, like those kind of, you know, um, cultural markers were perhaps more amplified for me than, than maybe, you know, the movie deserves or, you know, than they would be for other people. But I, I, I truly loved how specific this, this film felt. Um, uh, and so, although I would have, I, I agree with you, Caro, that like, there's a lot about Marcus's, um, characterization here that, that leaves something to be desired. But what I, I wanted more time because I did see potential for him. I wanted more time for him to earn the redemption that he gets, um, in the end, um, because I do felt as if he was worth more time, um, and, and like, going to the, the the question of like, you know, the humor of it, I did find the film funny. I found the the parts with Keanu the funniest, but it's interesting to me, um, Anita, that that you say like, you know, you you enjoyed Ali Wong's um, stand-up, but you didn't find this this film funny because it felt so different from her stand-up. Her character 
and her lines felt so Ali Wong to me. It felt as if some of those lines could have come and her, you know, reactions, her delivery, it seemed straight out of her stand-up it, experience. So it, like, it, it's, it's just funny that we had the, a different reaction. I'm, neither one of us is wrong. You know, I'm just saying like, it, it, I, I was like, yep, that's Ali Wong. Like, I can't imagine really, this character being played by anyone her else. Her character felt like her, for sure. And I didn't particularly have a problem with her character. I had a problem with the dialogue. And mm-hmm. so, I like, so one, she didn't write this alone, obviously. But mm-hmm. also, like, I think her stand-up is really smart and delivered really well, whereas the dialogue of this was clearly influenced by a lot of people and people who don't know how to write dialogue. And, like, the, like... The jokes were either to me were either bad or they were like bordering on like a, they weren't offensive, but they were like on a line there where it was kind of like, fuck, what? So the joke about um, Michelle Butoh's character, what's her name? Veronica or Vicky? Yeah, Veronica. Mm-hmm. Veronica, um, where they're talking about like what to buy her baby. Um, she says, I'm doing a non-binary gender situation. So just buy me gray baby clothes. I'm like, is that, that's not funny. Like, and especially if you're talking to a general audience that might like actually think that, who's like, oh, well, if we're trying to not gender babies and and put them into these like colored, like these categories of like pink and blue, it's just, I find the joke really, it, it, it perpetuates ignorance instead of trying to comment on it or like make it again my reaction to that line was because i you know um followed michelle buto i I like her com i like her as a comic etc was and perhaps i again am you know giving it too much credit but it was a very kind of like it, it, it was a sort of hyper aware Delivery, but I don't you know, think that, that the line. audience. Yeah, it. I well, agree. Th- that very moment be the case. I'm. I'm saying just you know, for me, I. I. I uh, understood it. I also um, just want to clarify so. that, like, part of what you're talking about, Ebony, about like the value of who gets to be in a traditional film like this, is why I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to talk shit on a film that is really like. There's the people who like there are people who made it and the people starring in it are people of color, people who don't necessarily historically have seen their themselves reflected in films like this. So I don't want to like I don't want to sit here and be like that was yeah, garbage. That's, that's, that's you know I totally get it and I I admire that feeling. But we we all I think are actively trying to move us towards a point where. People of color, people from any marginalized background can have, we have so much inclusive media that we also get to have mediocre things, I totally things, whatever, right? I, you know? And I think we only get to that point by by being honest about our reactions. That's why I was like, you know, I was kind of glad that you agreed to, to go ahead and have this conversation today, because if this film didn't work for you... I think it's important to say, this is why it didn't work. I'm not writing off rom-coms. You know, I'm not writing off Asian leads. I'm not writing off Ali Wong, Randall Park, whatever. Oh, right? I'm writing but off Randall th- Park completely. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, okay, now we're going to fight. Now we're going to fight. Because I will was, go to the map. So I was like, why was this guy cast? Like, there's no chemistry between him and Ali Wong. Like, this could have, I think that he was the lowest point in the film. Because for me, there's a lot of stuff I'm that didn't work. But it was right per- now. I'm putting on my coat and It my was shoes particularly and them. And I kept being like, they could have cast anyone in this role. Like, they could have found someone who, like, vibed with her better. Like, even if they really wanted his character to be this kind of, like, douchebaggy, assholey kind of, like, 
to me, it felt really sh- like a really shitty class stereotype in a way that I don't think worked well. But w- I, regardless, they could have found someone that like I did not believe their relationship and their chemistry at all. For me, I find Randall Park very likable, or I think he has the potential to be very likable. For me, he was a hundred percent let down by the writing, which is a, his which own. Which he did. Like, he co-wrote he it, so it's kind of his own writing. <laughs> but still, like I can see him being great. In something. Sure. Let me let me maybe uh, let me enumerate just like a few of the reasons again why this film specific reasons why like or evidence of why this film didn't work for me that that have to do with the character of Marcus like he you know there's a point at which like I mean where they're kind of just fighting all the time you know and Mar- Marcus says something like um, I forget what provokes it but he but she says like oh I have to go to New York and open the new restaurant or something and he says oh right because you're a celebrity chef you know what other term I hate elevated Asian cuisine it's not supposed to be elevated it's supposed to be authentic and it's like dude Marcus like maybe there's a conversation to be had here about authenticity and catering to rich white people which he says and maybe like that has some truth to it but oh my god he is such an asshole in the way that he goes about it like he seems to just like hate her success on some level too he when when she talks about maybe having a baby on her own like he is so fucked up to her about that like just so fucked up and so like I mean, and and then like it's it's as if the two of them don't even they're supposed to be in this like happy relationship phase where they've finally gotten together, but they haven't even talked about the New York trip. Like to me, these are all just like red flags. And it's like, oh my god, these two would be terrible together. They don't communicate well at all. Like nothing, nothing to me about this relationship seems right or like it makes sense for them to be together. And so I just I just couldn't see why. You know, again, I just couldn't see why I'm supposed to like root for them to end up together. I just I, I have really. Oh, please. Go ahead. I was, I was, I, so I listened to um, an interview where Randall Park and Ali Wong were being interviewed talking about the film. And um, my my sense from uh, the way they explained like, the development of the idea was that Ali Wong kind of had this idea um, and Randall Park, you know, they were they've been longtime friends before this. And, and Ali uh, used to write on Fresh Off the Boat, Randall Park show. Mm-hmm. Which is directed and was co-created by Nanachka Khan, who um, directed Always Be My Maybe. Directed this, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, had this idea. Um, Randall Park is like, this is great. And I, I love the way that we're thinking about this. Um, and from the beginning, Ali Wong is thinking about this as a vehicle for Randall Park, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and definitely, a, you know, a, a funny, interesting female actor... Um, but she's not thinking of herself as the co-lead, which I, I, that's very interesting, right? That her expectation is there's no way um, that an, an Asian woman is going to be cast in this film. Um, but if she is, if one is, it's definitely not going to be me. You know, she talks about how she's acted before, but she's not known for her acting, et cetera. And she says something that I found so interesting. She was like, yeah, you know, I really, you know, was thinking it would be like Randall Park and like Anne Hathaway. You know, but then Randall was like, no, I absolutely want to do this with you. Um, and so the, well, stop the, humanizing them. God, <laughs> no, but so I was like, this is so interesting, right? That the woman who came up with this idea has already written herself out of contention. In fact, not even written herself out of contention. She she never even envisioned a space for herself in this movie. Um, and. 
anticipated that Hollywood would only allow it to be made if there were a, a white female lead. And, you know, she's not wrong that that's the typical way this would have gone. Um, so I do think that <laughs> you're absolutely right that like we're not, we're not talking about, you know, award worthy acting throughout this movie, but and I'm all that so stuff, yeah. And all that stuff is great. Like, again, like that's the, you know, uh, like uh, I'm thrilled, you know, it's, it's again, it's the kind of thing like I'm thrilled that this movie like exists. I'm glad that it's, you know, uh, in terms of representation, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, you know, some many viewers are, are responding to it positively, that they love it, that they want more of this. Like, I hope that that it's successful and that it leads to, you know, or makes it easier for more stuff like this to get made. I, you know, I'm fully on board with all of that. I just can't go so far as to say that I personally think it's a, a good movie. The the reason why this film, like perhaps, you know, I'm I'm more inclined um, to to let it be what it is, is that for me, Sasha is Ali Wong. Marcus is Randall. Like I am not able to divorce um, the characters from the actors who play them. And this is absolutely true of Daniel Day Kim and Keanu Reeves and this and whatever. So my, you know, my affection for this film is because I have affection for those actors, those writers, those comics, et cetera. Right. So yeah, I will, I will fully cop to the fact that like, you know, I'm going to let this thing cook that this thing is more interesting to me, perhaps in the theory than the execution, but I just have such warm feelings um, for all of these people. And I, I just, I can't, I cannot get past how wonderful, how absolutely wonderful it is to see these faces on screen. I was overjoyed to see them living and loving and laughing. I just, I can't get over it. I'm, I'm unable to perhaps be as sufficiently critical as, as you know, I would like to be because just the fact of its existence is still such a revelation and gift for me. I, um, but I still love both of you dearly. I would Aww. really like to know, <laughs> I would really like an answer to the question that was posed in the movie about why you would install an AC HVAC system in a rental property that you're staying in for two months. I would also... a shitload of money. I don't... That... Oh, my God. I also would like to know uh, why they think that someone who is opening a restaurant can just, like, go to a concert and, like, go on some dates and just kind of willy-nilly hang yeah. out. Like, and yeah. then the specifics and then, of her life as a celebrity chef were, yeah, real wonky. And then two months later, she's going to New York to open another restaurant as if you do that back-to-back? Like, what? Okay. See, I mean, those are, those, those are the kinds of things that fall under... For me, irrelevant because rom-com Fair, logic, whatever. But it but here's but, the thing. Like, here's the thing about what Ebony, what you're talking about, is you're like, and I am normally, I normally say this, but because we have, we are seeing an improvement in in whose voices are being shared and whose stories are being told in some ways, mostly because of streaming services, like this should have been better. 
Like, and it could have been better. And there is such an incredible amount of talent out there that could have made this better, that had a cast of people who are Asian, who are people of color, who get to be in these traditional ways. Like, there are rom-coms that are actually good. There was no reason that this was as trash as it was other than like it was the most (laughs) low budget thing like that wasn't even a restaurant that was a fucking gallery they didn't even try to make it look like a restaurant like it just I want there are so many people who I want to have opportunities that don't have opportunities that could have written this script in their sleep 10 times better I'm sorry. I'm really angry today. I was so mad. Why I was so mad watching this? (laughs) Like, I'm really struggling with with this idea of like, how long do we go? Where it's like, well, it's okay because it because we want to highlight certain voices, so it's okay if it's kind of garbagey. And like, it was great to see ourselves reflected. And like, to me, the opening sequence was like, yeah, there are different kinds of Asian people. Could we make that any more clear? But in such an over-the-top contrived way. Because, like, you know me. I was all about, like, yeah, they use scissors and the kimchi and then the, like, sort Mm. of Hawaiian spam thing. Like, all of that's great, but they did it so badly. Yeah, my problems didn't come with the film until later when I when until like the starts, adult Randall Park showed up until it starts ramping up the <laughs> like the idea that we're supposed to feel some chemistry and want these two to get together. And I just didn't. Are we? Can we at, le- at least briefly mention the joke about the handicap placards? Um, I did. I did write that down. Yeah, because I, I saw somebody on Twitter. You know, I I probably wouldn't as a viewer to be fully honest as an able you know bodied viewer who. Whatever, I, I probably wouldn't have thought much about it, but I saw a tweet that said, um, you know, like this joke is uh, messed up because it's so fucked up because people, you know, already like assume that, oh, a handicap placard means like you are uh, someone who uses a wheelchair, right. you know, and if you get out of a car with a handicap placard and you're not using a wheelchair, then like the perception is you are not, you know, you can't. Ha- you do not qualify. Like you're exploiting the system mm-hmm. rather than like, and and yeah, like it, it does seem to the joke does seem to totally fall in line with that. I I'm glad this movie exists. I hope its impact is positive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted it to be what I would have considered a better film. You know, it was I, I, I was there was a sense of a little bit of a sense of dread watching it and feeling like, oh, I really want I really wanted to like this. And I just don't I don't like it. I can't like pretend to like it or convince myself to like it. And I, you know, like I was I was looking forward to having wonderful things to say about it on the podcast. Um, but then I'm like, oh, no, I don't think I don't actually think this movie is good. So. Yeah, like well, like she had three moms. Wow, their tampon budget must have been through the roof. Who thought that was a good joke? No, Who? no, that is that is legitimately a terrible joke. But before we wrap up this discussion, can I just yeah. say some things that I loved? Okay, quick one: Daniel Day Kim acknowledging the sex symbolness of that hot ass fifty year old. Yes, here for it. The poster for Handsome Boy Modeling School in Marcus's room. Absolutely loved that. Oh my god, I missed that. <laughs> so good. In fact, oh, the, the 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 music uh, yeah. selection in this film, absolutely loved it. I Casey didn't understand Wilson. how they could afford getting some of it. Like the, it ended on Mariah Carey. I was like, yeah. this low budget thing can afford. Well, well um, Netflix got all that money. And speaking of Netflix, I love that in one of Randall Park's songs, he shouts out Ted Sarandos. That is such a like. <laughs> <laughs> such a ridiculous ask 
call out, right? Ted Sarandos, COO of Netflix, but like certainly not someone with like a lot of, you know, cultural sort of, you know, name cue power, you know, but I just love that. that. Right? Like it was oh just Oh my god, that I never that music, that band. God. Uh, so, Can we stop talking about okay, this movie? Jenny um Jenny uh Marcus's girlfriend, the fact that she has those paw tattoos on her breast oh like god. Eve, so great. <laughs> okay. Totally <laughs> oh like god. Eve. The the lavender sugar bubbles in the restaurant, <gasps> okay, the way that, that Jenny chases home with her mouth. I was like, I absolutely would do that. That shit you know? was amazing. I was like, I would I would be okay with that if a restaurant did that. <laughs> yeah, me, exactly. This is what I was saying. Like that whole scene in the restaurant, I was like, I want to be in a situation like this with Anita, because I know she's been in uh, you know, restaurants where they are absolutely taking chances. Now not the kind of like ludicrous, you know, experimentation, like we're experimenting with time, you know, at least not in that kind of, you know, bullshit superficial way. But you know, before molecular gastronomy became a parody of itself, the kind of thought and creativity that underlies that is actually worth celebrating. And I do think that like, you know, Marcus's offhand dismissal of what uh, Sasha does. I I do think the film tries in some way to hold him um, to account or indicate that like this is bullshit. So you know, walking through um, uh, one of the venues and the waiters are the cater waiters are like, hey, you know, try this, try this, and without even trying them, he's like, hell no, you know, <laughs> and it's like no. Like, dude, you don't get to be that dude, especially, you know, if this is the woman that you profess to love. Whatever. I have a whole host of things that I loved. Um, if anyone's interested, you ain't. Hit me up on Twitter and I'll send you the full list. Well, we can also talk about it in the bonus since yeah, we you don't want to hear me ramble the whole on. time talking about how much I hated this movie. <laughs> uh, let's take a little break and we'll be right back with our weekly freakouts. All right, y'all. It is now time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Can I talk about this movie as my freakout? Because it definitely infuriated. Me. <laughs> no, you have to talk about it in the. You have to talk about it in the bonus. All right, Carol. What's your freakout this week? All right, I. You know, uh, I'm copying off of Ebony um, because this was her freakout. I don't know. Recently. No, it can't be Fleabag because that was going to be mine. Oh well. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fine, go. So. We should Fleabag. have an episode about Fleabag is really <laughs> A collective freakout, yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, obviously season one or series one, as they guess, I guess they say in um, in British shows, uh, came out a few years ago. I heard some a few things about it. Didn't watch it. Didn't watch it. And then series two, which is, I guess, the final season series uh, of Fleabag recently debuted. And Ebony said some good things about it on the podcast uh, on her freakout uh, recently. And man, wow. Wow. Like, wow. Um, I, uh, you know, after the uh, the first episode, I was like, that was my, (laughs) that was my feeling. But same, exactly same. The way that this, like the way that the complexity of Fleabag as a character, the, I mean, the way in which, uh, like the show works as a comedy, but with so many layers of like humanity and insight and tragedy, sadness, grief, like all just tumbling around so messily and in a way that is so, I think, authentic that in, in, a, in a way that, you know, even like a lot of shows I like that I think deal with or like look into, you know, the the, the 
grief and internal, you know, just experiences in our lives will often to some degree kind of sanitize or 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 make the edges like smooth out the edges or or you know sand things into into clear resolutions clear like uh moments of growth development etc and like fleabag was so surprising to me in ultimately the ways that it you know it's it's like there are these moments where oh i think i see where this is going to lead to like like growth and change in the ways of X, Y, Z or whatever. And it's not that if, that there is no character development or no growth whatsoever because there absolutely is, but it's just never like the kind of pat, neat, like uh, uh, formulaic at all kind of development that I think we're accustomed to. Like there is something uh, remarkable in the, in the committed kind of messiness uh, and interiority of this show and the way that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is able to say so much with a look at the camera, mm. like astounding to me. Uh, anyway, like we may have to do an episode about this cause there's so much to say about this show in my opinion, but just, you know, um, I highly recommend it. I absolutely encourage people to watch it. It's like the episodes are each less than a half an hour. There's 12 in total. So it's not that much of a, you know, commitment. Uh, Fleabag is the real deal. Y'all it's good. Phoebe Waller bridge is one of those people whose talent honestly kind of scares me. Like the woman is 33 years old, God, right. And has accomplished so much and of such quality you know, and variety, and not just as a writer, not just as a producer or showrunner, um, but as an actor, you know, like, she's the real deal, you know, um, and it, like I said, it's honestly a little bit scary how talented she is. Uh, I'm gonna come in with my freak out, because I'm just gonna piggyback off of Carolyn. <laughs> right on, right <laughs> Unless on. Unless we actually do an episode about this, but I, I did, I, I had the exact same experience, Carol. I watched the first episode and was like, meh. I don't know about this. This isn't really my style. I don't really like shows where you kind of hate everybody and, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And then I like Ebony was talking about it and a bunch of other people were talking about it. So I gave it another chance and I was like, oh, this is really good. I think season two is stronger, although oh, yeah. I still enjoyed season one. Series one. I think I want to mention it actually here in this episode because they do the sort of amplified exaggeration in a way that I think always be my maybe tried to do and failed at where Fleabag was very successful. Like the father and the sister and, um, and uh, Olivia Coleman's character. Yeah. The godmother, all, all three of them, although her a little bit less, um, they, um, they're like issues that they have and the way that they play out, the exaggeratedness of it is so perfect like it's 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 a comment it's it the comedy of it and the deep intensity of it work really really well i love the sister's character claire i think and in season two she really shines in just whatever is happening there i'll also say that the um the very last scene was oh. fucking incredible uh, it was so, incredible what a perfect like what a brilliant ending yeah right? so like i didn't know yeah. why well, just real quick like watching series two i didn't know that it was like the last series i i kind of went into that thinking 
okay, like this is the series, the, the, the finale for this season, but there may well be a Fleabag 3. And then the, it does something in the, with the ending that feels mm-hmm. so appropriately like, no, you know, you're like, this is where your time together comes to an right. end. And I had to go online and look. I was like, oh, God, no. And it's like, oh, that's the end of the show. But, show, but I'm like, I, I couldn't help but admire it for being willing to end after two series and and nailing that that final that final scene is just it's so it's so 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 good yep it's an amazing it's an amazing show although i have to say um anita one of my few very few um critiques of this show centers around and i love olivia coleman we've talked about how much i love olivia coleman and how much i do love her character the character of the godmother um, who you know becomes the the father's wife, but one of the few things I take issue with is the characterization of like modern art and you know the kind of like modern art world and the vapidity and insipidity of modern um, art because the exaggeration there didn't work for me in the way that I think it didn't work for you um, and always be my maybe with you know um, you know like avant garde food culture, um, the way that the godmother talks about her art. And sometimes I'm like, eh, this is, you know, a little bit too, like, like you're outlining it a little bit too much. Oh, I love it. In service it. of explaining how I loved it. she is. Um, and I love her character apart from those things, but just purely in terms of like the way she talks about her art. Like, I guess I- I've, I've seen so many other, um, you know, texts that, you know, have this, this very sort of hypercritical, um, take on modern art that I'm like, eh, it did it, that particular thing didn't work for me, but whatever. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, uh, it really worked for me because I felt, I feel a deep affinity to making fun of art um, <laughs> and the pretentiousness of it uh, and I fucking love Olivia Coleman so much she oh god and I love the can I say a spoiler I, yeah. I love I, I won't say a spoiler I love okay. the thing that that recurs throughout both yeah. seasons like yeah. it's so smart how that's done yeah. um, alright Ebony you don't get a freak out this week because we're at time and okay <laughs> do you have something good you want to share real quick or do you want to uh, it. Yeah, it was just a resource, uh, a website okay, called cool. Therapy for Black Girls. Oh, um, yeah. So does what it says on the 10. They're about, you know, supporting and, you know, uh, offering resources for black women who wish to access mental health services. Very easy. Therapy for the website is very easy. Finding competent, culturally informed therapy is not, unfortunately. Hence the the website therapyforblackgirls.com, um, which I think was the brainchild of Dr. Do- Joy Bradford. So just real quick freak out, but a hugely vital one. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad you shared that. Uh, FYI, everybody, we got t-shirts for sale. They are almost not for sale anymore because they are limited run. So if you would like to get those, please head over to dftba.com slash femfreak. And if you are a backer of this podcast, you get 10% off all of our merch. Um, I did that backwards. You can also submit your own freakout at feministfrequency.com slash freakout, F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Stay tuned for The Freakin' After Party, which is only available to backers of this podcast, which you can learn more at and become one at patreon.com slash femfreak. 
This show is engineered by Rob Perra. Sarah Norales provides technical support. Art by Jamie Varon. And our intro music is by Phil Circus. You can find us everywhere great podcasts are found. There's probably some not great podcasts too, but we're definitely not one of those. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the social medias at FemFreak. Join us next week for another feminist dive into pop culture. Thanks for listening. Later. Give me that kanji. Mm. Bye.